to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means some more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. China adds stimulus with a third interest rate cut in six months. China's uh, cut rate credit rankings raise alarm bells as defaults loom. And the IMF is said to be preparing for a possible Greek default ahead of tomorrow's deadline. Note that uh, Shanghai stocks lost ground last week, despite reports that a 50 basis point rate cut was coming. We'll discuss all of this with markets commentator this morning, David Goldman of the Reorient Group. That's uh, right after we hear from our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, on the U.S. jobs report and the Eurogroup meetings coming up. And finally, our India correspondent, Murli Krishnan, talks to us about the Indian government's green bonds. Alex Wong of Ample Capital is guest host today. Good morning, Alex. So uh, China's central bank rate uh, cut. Has this move been priced into the yuan, would you say? Uh, For the yuan? Mm-hmm. I think uh, the one probably has stabilized around this level. Probably uh, it would just consolidate this at this level, not too weak or not too strong. I think uh, people had, had discounted a rate cut uh, uh, in the price. So uh, I don't think uh, the one would, would move too much. No, no major shocks. All mm. right. Let's look at the U.S. Employers uh, in the U.S. created 223 new jobs in April, a much larger increase than the month before. And uh, at the same time, however, the U.S. Department of Labor said that the unemployment rate dropped to a seven-year low of 5.4%. That's down from 5.5% in March. Uh, big job gains in the service sector helped to offset weakness in mining. Um, But what do the revisions really mean? Revisions were made for the March report as well as for February. So if you add them all up, uh, does the picture really look as rosy as it appears? Here's Carl Riccadonna. He is Bloomberg Intelligence's uh, economist. It's actually a little bit of a weaker report uh, if you take into account these net revisions, and that's really the appropriate way to look at that. So you take the headline increase of 223, subtract 39,000 of downward revisions. The real payroll number was about 184,000. That's below consensus, and I think that's why you see the market reaction that we're seeing uh, with Treasury yields uh, off a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh, stocks uh, rallying on uh, hopes that maybe the Fed goes later or to a smaller degree. Josh Wright uh, of Bloomberg Intelligence agrees that it doesn't look as good. We saw a lot of weakness in the manufacturing sector, and you know, that was really the greatest concern here, is the effect of the stronger dollar continues to be felt. And although there were a lot of things that were positive in this um, report, and we saw a lot of resilience outside of the manufacturing sector, factories are simply not doing that well. So what conclusion then can be drawn about the future? Here's Mitsubishi UFJ's John Herman. You know, our criticism of a couple of weeks back was that 
Wall Street consensus and the Fed were too optimistic this year on both payroll growth and on GDP growth. So we were recommending clients like a tactical, what we call tactical 530 steepener. So we've had a really good run with this thing. What that means is this, is that when we look at this report, we see some of the weakness that Josh mentioned, but we see also the hours work data is leading off at a very sluggish pace, and it doesn't seem that to be accelerating from what we saw last month and uh, last quarter. So uh, if we tie that in with the Atlanta Fed GDP model, which is saying that GDP growth is really about 1% of this quarter, it actually almost is. So I'm not as bearish as 1% right now. I'm more in like a, a low 2% kind of growth, but that's significantly lower than the, than the Wall Street consensus of 3%. Well, U.S. markets rose in sympathy last Friday with what was going on in Europe vis-a-vis the U.K. elections, but also given the U.S. jobs numbers. Baycrest Partners equity derivative strategist Anshul Agarwal says that the market has legs to go higher. He was talking with Bloomberg's Matt Miller after the markets closed on Friday. The recent uh, spike in volatility and the correlation between the stock market and the bond market where both stocks and bonds were selling off together sharply and then start to uh, rise back up together. We think this correlation uh, is not going to last and it's going to fade away over a period of time. You think stocks uh, will continue to rise but bonds will come down? Slowly. There's a bid surely, today. The, the, that is correct. And uh, yes, there is a bid in the uh, bond market today for sure. Uh, that's just uh, in sharp reaction uh, to the steep sell-off that we experienced in uh, TLT, for example, uh, and uh, we will continue to see that normalize, stabilize, but uh, drift lower over a period of time. And even, even if the Fed continues uh, to hold on in this deficit position and maybe pushes out longer and longer and longer until we get lift off? Well, if the scenario changes completely, it's a different thing altogether, but yeah. the jobs number currently suggests that uh, there will be some sort of wage pressure uh, coming in the market, which means that uh, the Fed will have to act, and overall the economic data numbers are okay. I mean, they're not great, but at the same time, the good and bad, good mixed together. So the Fed will be acting some point or later. Alex, what do you think? Do you agree that the U.S. market has legs to go higher? Oh, I think think probably not too much from here. I think uh, the bonds market probably would still correlate with the stock market in the meantime. And I don't see the bonds to rebound too much from here. And uh, with the uncertainties I had in the Europe to this week, I think probably we would see some correction. Uh, and, and I think the current momentum may not be too strong. But you don't think the bonds uh, market will actually go lower? I think the see. bonds market will, will go lower later on. Later on. Yeah. All right. Let's bring in Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent who joins us from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. So, Barry, what do you make of uh, the U.S. jobs numbers? Well, I think it's fantastic. I mean, look, we had a weak first quarter, but when you get a jobs report of 220, 233,000, uh, that's pretty good. And look at the stock market uh, response on Friday. So this was uh, better than expected. If you take all of the first quarter, we're averaging about what? 185,000 jobs. That's below uh, monthly. That's, that's below the 200 that we sort of like to see. But clearly the economy is going to strengthen here in the second, third, and I think fourth quarters. I'm on that optimistic side, as Alec has heard me say. I, I just don't think that these reports of 1.5% growth for the U.S., we're going to see something like 25 to 3 So you don't uh, buy into what some of these previous commentators are saying about weakness in manufacturing or sort of the revisions downwards in jobs this last quarter? 
Look, I do think that manufacturing is critical. The problem is that uh, if you... We have now a very competitive manufacturing sector with wages starting at about $10 an hour, I might add, because I look at that out in Michigan and Ohio. But if uh, we're going to see wage pressure, if we're going to see inflationary pressure, that's going to boost those. And we're not going to see this sort of relocation of some jobs like Whirlpool, the appliance maker, has brought jobs back from Mexico. I think the U.S. manufacturing sector is strong. I think all you have to do is look at what GE has done. Sure, they got rid of the financial arm and the real estate arm because of regulation, but the fact is they're now a manufacturing company. And it's not manufacturing offshore like Apple. GE is a huge producer of manufactured goods here in the States. Jet Engine, Jet Engine of Ohio and Power Locomotives and others up in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. So I think the manufacturing outlook is good. Okay, so Barry, uh, what do you think this means in terms of the Fed and its uh, timing on raising rates? Well, Renita, as uh, Alex has heard me say as well, I think we're looking at September. I just don't think there's any uh, incentive for the Fed to move sooner. Yes, I know Ms. Yellen spoke about uh, stocks being pretty pricey, but the fact is that's just covering the bases. I don't think that was any kind of worrying sign that she's expressing. I don't think we're going to see any rate increase in June. I don't think we're going to see any rate increase until September, if then. Now, I'd love to be proven wrong, and wrong data would be huge job growth, well beyond what we saw for the month of April. If that happens, then, you know, I think we'll be happy to see rates rise. That would mean a much stronger U.S. economy. So, Alex, um, okay, so lower for longer, uh, September, certainly not June. But, you know, increasingly, a number of analysts are, are saying, well, we may not actually even see this rate hike until next year. What do you think? Well, I think uh, probably we, we will still see this week. I think the market is discounting that because uh, we have seen the uh, weakness in bonds uh, uh, last week, and that is uh, quite um, quite huge. I think they sell off. So uh, probably uh, market is still discounting the, the rate hike in September. I agree that uh, we will see that. I think. Okay, Barry. Um, Greece meets later today to ask uh, the meets with the ECB. I should say later today uh, to ask to keep its emergency aid flowing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, we have had some news on Greece this past uh, seven days. I think, Renita, that we're uh, we're sort of inching towards a deal. I think that the Greek government is going to bite the bullet despite all the contrary signals and uh, do the things that are required to get a release of the, of the package of assistance. It's very interesting that the Greeks have agreed to pay back the money to the IMF that they owe, $750 million, that's a lot, and they've got a big payment coming up in June. And I think that is, a, that is a sign that really focuses attention on an economy and a government that knows that it doesn't have any more money. So yes, the IMF has said, look, the Europeans are going to have to write down some of this official debt. That'll take time before the Europeans agree to that. But it's broken the sort of unity of the Troika. The IMF is now sort of on the side of the Greeks. And yet the Greeks have to take action in order to please their creditors. That's primarily the ECB and the European Union and all of those governments that meet around the table as the Euro group. So the pressure's on Greece. So you don't uh, actually think that there might be a default, as some of the headlines are suggesting that the IMF yes, is preparing for I, I don't. 
I don't want to be Cassandra. Okay. I don't want to be the one who really is foolish on this. Anything could happen. This is an unpredictable government. But the odds are that they will they will muddle through. And I think uh, we'll know a lot more in 24 hours' time after this Eurogroup meeting. But I think the Greeks are um, they're being a little more pragmatic than they were, say, two weeks ago. All right. Okay, Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always great to have you on the show. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, joining us from Washington, D.C. The time is now 8.15 a.m. and China, as we said, has cut its interest rates once again. Here's Matt Walsh with the details. The mainland's central bank cut its benchmark lending rate by 25 basis points, or a quarter of a percentage point, to 5.1 percent, and its one-year benchmark deposit rates by the same amount, to two and a quarter percent. The reductions take effect from today. Economists have expected further rate cuts since mainland economic growth in the first quarter cooled to 7 percent, the slowest pace since 2009. The central bank has now cut interest rates and also relaxed banks' reserve requirements five times in six months. Many economists say the weak property market and slowing growth in manufacturing and investment signal further easing measures are likely to come this year. And in another step to uh, free up interest rates, the central bank will also raise the limits on what uh, banks can pay savers. Let's uh, bring in our next guest, David Goldman of the Reorient Group. Good morning, David. Good morning, Rita. David, does the Chinese economy need substantial stimulus to get back on its feet? Well, there are several kinds of stimulus that will influence the Chinese economy. In my view, the most important by far is one belt, one road which is the most ambitious infrastructure investment program probably in the history of economics. But it's certainly the case that uh, China is the only major economy in the world where real interest rates, that is the interest rate adjusted for inflation, are positive by several percentage points. In every other major venue in the world, real interest rates are negative. So uh, China's economy has been operating under a substantial headwind, Uh, We've been urging the uh, uh, PBOC to cut aggressively for months, and they're gradually doing this. I think it'll have a good effect. So, but the question really is, will monetary easing do the trick? I mean, they've been taking this multi-pronged approach, right, with benchmark interest rate cuts and lower bank reserve ratios, liquidity injection into banks, and also efforts to bring down money market rates. Uh, Monetary easing, will it do the trick? Monetary easing is one feature of a reform package, which, in my view, will lead to the deleveraging of the Chinese economy. Remember that China uh, encouraged a huge amount of credit growth after 2008 to avoid a recession in China, which afflicted the rest of the world. This led to buildup of debt levels, which were concerning. Now you have, um, with higher stock market valuations, an enormous wave of initial public offerings. Chinese companies are substituting equity for debt, and you have other forms of debt consolidation, for example, the swap of uh, local government uh, special purpose vehicle Mm -hmm. debt for provincial debt, which consolidates the debt, reduces the burden. Uh, The uh, authorities have done their best to smooth the IPO process to open IPOs for smaller companies. So all in all, um, 
the comprehensive set of reforms, uh, as well as opening up uh, the Chinese capital account gradually to the world, I think will have the desired effect. Alex, what do you think? Well, I think uh, this process will take long, and in the meantime, probably the market would um, would consolidate and not not performing too strongly after this rate cut. I think uh, we I'm I'm bullish in the longer run, but uh, in the short term, probably um, the market will um, deleverage. I mean, I mean the margin financing probably would be the concern in the meantime, and uh, people probably would still be. Um, Courses uh, on this uh, uh, stock market uh, after so- uh, last week correction. So uh, I am bullish in the longer term, but not not too bullish in the short term. But uh, David, go ahead. You're going to say. Something? I was going to no. say the Chinese market is a moving target. Uh, as Alex just said, it's uh, too dependent on margin financing by locals. It will gradually become a global market in which the majority of participants will be unlevered money, long term, long only investors, as the capital account opens up. I think the single most important fact to keep in mind is that the uh, Hong Kong uh, China Enterprises Index, Hang Seng uh, Index, trades at a price earnings ratio of around 10 and the global stock index MSCI Global trades at a PE of 20. Hmm. You can get the same earnings in Hong Kong with somewhat better ratios at half the cost globally, which means that in order to reach parity with the rest of the world, uh, the Hong Kong uh, eight shares should essentially double again over the next two to three years. Uh, I think Alex is right that liquidity concerns may be a problem in the short run, but there is an ocean of money, both uh, overseas and in Chinese pension funds, waiting to enter the Chinese market. And I think that before the bull run is over, uh, we do another doubling. So when are we actually going to see this money flow in? As soon as the Chinese authorities uh, make it available, uh, you've had a number of major institutions, for example, BlackRock, the largest money manager in the world, express interest in increasing Chinese exposure. The difficulty right now is liquidity and you know, structural impediments to this kind of investing. But as the Chinese capital account has opened over the next two to three years, uh, I think we will see um, uh, Chinese stocks traded Know, as globally as, say, IBM, General Electric, or um, Volkswagen. So does that then provide an opportunity for investors here in Hong Kong to jump in, get in early, you know, through the Shanghai Stock Exchange? Well, I think that eight uh, shares are still attractively priced. Long-term investors should be overweight China. Reorient has been an unabashed China bull uh, for the past year. Uh, I personally am uh, heavily invested in China, uh, and uh, I'm not selling. So the answer is absolutely yes. Okay. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this morning, David. Uh, Very interesting stuff. That's David Goldman, and he is Managing Director at the Reorient Group. Let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up 1.26% to 19,624. Australia's ASX 200 is up three-tenths of a percent to 5,652. And Seoul's Kospi up 1% to 2,106. In currencies, one euro will buy you 1.11 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is currently trading at 119.81 yen, and one pound sterling is valued at 11 Hong Kong dollars and 96 cents. From April 1st, 2015... 
plastic shopping bag charging will be fully implemented. All plastic shopping bags will be charged at 50 cents each or more. Exemptions will apply to certain plastic bags to protect food hygiene, such as plastic bags used to wrap unpacked food or when the packaging is not airtight. Free plastic bags may also be provided for chilled or frozen food. Useless, wasteless. Bring your own bag when you shop. The time is now 8.23 a.m. and the Indian government is asking leading financial institutions to raise funds for renewable energy expansion through the issuance of new green bonds. It has approached at least eight lenders, including the Rural Electrification Corporation, to raise low-cost and long-term funds to help finance India's plan to quadruple its energy production, its renewable energy production, while also aiming to make it economically viable for debt-laden distribution companies to buy clean power. It's an ambitious project, and to talk us through it, we are joined by our senior journalist uh, in India, Murli Krishnan. Good morning, Murli. Good morning. Murli, the, the government, uh, uh, you know, led by Prime Minister Narendra Modi, has pushed uh, renewable energy to the top Uh, of its energy security agenda, right? Uh, How feasible is this, sort of given that India is a country that is dependent on coal-fueled electricity? Well, you're right in the sense that what India, what Narendra Modi is trying to do is trying to seek uh, to minimize India's dependence on coal-fueled electricity. I mean, right now, coal will continue to dominate for now. But then I think there is a new thinking which has emerged in uh, the Prime Minister Modi's government, considering the fact that when he was the Chief Minister of Gujarat, you know, he was the first person to sort of introduce solar indications of uh, 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 solar incentives as well as national wind farm tax benefits. So therefore, there is there is a there is a new thinking which is happening right now because India knows it cannot afford to depend on on coal all 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 for many years to come. So right now, the kind of thinking which is going on is, is that India needs as much as about $200 billion to meet its uh, target of to install about 100 gigawatts of solar power and another 60,000 megawatts of wind power by 2022. It, it is a very ambitious program, but Prime Minister Modi is garnering support from various countries, even the United States. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's got a pledge already for about $160 billion from when, when President Barack Obama visited in, in, in March earlier this year. And this is, the, the, and that's why all these institutions have, eight lenders have agreed to sort of help out. And there is a lot of brainstorming which is going on. I, mean, I was speaking to energy expert M.K. Bernou about, about this, and this is what he had to tell me. India is slowly moving towards a regime. It wants at least 30 to 40 percent of its power generation to come from renewable sources, which includes solar, which includes nuclear, which includes wind energy. So to fund these uh, projects on such a big scale, it makes sense to issue green bonds. They need to come out with details of how these green bonds will work, because at the moment, renewable energy, whether solar or wind, it's very expensive compared to coal-based power, which would always be about 50% of our energy basket, which is very polluting. So we need to have a subsidy regime. We need to have costing of green power to be made very transparent. 
Murli, we know that the Indian government is exploring various financial models for the country's renewable energy sector. But is this a venture which has everybody on board? For the moment, I think there is, I mean, uh, many of these institutions which the government has approached, these eight lenders, yes, they are on board. There are other institutions who are, who are also being talked to. Yes, Bank has already raised about 1,000 thousand crores Indian rupees through its green infrastructure bonds with a tenure of 10 years. Export-Import Bank, which has also lent, has also lent itself to solar and wind programs, it sold the country's first green dollar bonds for about a 500 million issue, a dollar issue in, in March this year. So therefore, they, 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 it's going to take some time because once there's a new thinking and there's a political push to this particular program, I guess you know, people, it'll take some time, but then, the, but then definitely there is a momentum which is happening in this particular venture. Uh, Piyush Goel, who is the Minister for New and Renewable Energy, he said the government is exploring various financial models you know, for the country's renewable energy sector. And, and they're, they're also trying to improve you know, counterparty risk bidding in, you know, in dollar-denominated tariffs and trying to create a sort of what is known as, apparently they want to create an escrow account to help developers hedge risk. But Murli, you know, India being the world's biggest greenhouse gas emitter after the US and China, is there skepticism on this venture by the government? And the bigger question, I suppose, is, you know, if it's just political rhetoric. Well, there are two sides of this argument. But the fact is, you know, environmental problems... I mean, have 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 also cropped up. I mean, just for example, just look at Delhi alone. The smog there was worse than in Beijing till about two months back, and and by and and this is all adding to pre, adding to the pressure to develop cleaner alternatives. Yes, we hope this political rhetoric can be translated into action. But then, the, then considering the fact that the solar ambitions are so lofty, you know, various bodies who are involved in this particular sector, they, they, they've already drawn out a roadmap uh, uh, for India uh, of, of what it looked like if we are to push for renewable energy. And they say that they will spread solar panels across an area which is equivalent to almost about three times the size of Mumbai, which is the financial capital of India. So therefore, I mean, I just wish that, you know, this this, this not remain, remain in the realm of political rhetoric and is actually against off the ground. So that's where the thinking is. And the fact is there's so much of brainstorming just happening. And the fact that many of the institutions have been talked to, I guess there is definitely a push and I think the push could possibly lead to something tangible on the ground. All right, Murli, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Murli Krishnan. He is our senior journalist in India based in New Delhi. A quick look at the numbers before we wrap up uh, this morning's show. The Nikkei is up 1.3% to 19,635. Australia's ASX 200 up 8 tenths of a percent to 5,680. And Solz Kospi up almost 1% to 2,105. Gold currently stands at $1,189.20 per ounce. And Brent crude oil at $65.27. So, uh, Alex, we have have Greece uh, on the cards. We'll be looking at the local uh, stock markets uh, here in Hong Kong and China to see uh, what effect the rate cuts have had, if any, if any. Um, What Mm. else should we be keeping an eye on? Well, I think uh, still the uh, development in Greece. I think uh, the bond market probably is the focus in the uh, international markets right now. So uh, 
I think uh, that uh, depends a lot on the grid's outcome. And for local markets, I think uh, today probably um, we should be a little bit cautious. I think the effect probably would be like the last uh, cut in the reserve requirement ratio. So that means uh, we would have a very short term boost, but I think uh, probably we would meet resistance today and then the market would uh, continue to consolidate before we getting eventually much higher, but I think uh, we probably would be in a consolidation for some time. All right, Alex, thank you for joining us this morning as guest host. That is Alex Wong. He is the Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. And I'm Renita Malhotrahura, wrapping up for this morning's Money for Nothing. The weather forecast today will be mainly cloudy with a few showers, and showers will be more frequent with thunderstorms later on. The temperature right now is 25 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity is 97%. Time for the news with Samantha Butler. Amnesty International says migrants in Libya face horrific abuse, driving them to risk their lives to try to reach Europe. A new report based on dozens of interviews documents accounts of abduction and rape. The BBC's Paul Adams reports. Libya is full of cruelty. That quote from an unnamed Nigerian migrant is the title of Amnesty International's report. And the document makes grim reading with its stories of the abduction, torture and rape of migrants in Libya. It documents systematic exploitation and abuse by employers, some of whom treat migrants as slaves, and in detention centres where conditions are often appalling. 